Welcome to Life-Giving Water Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and, through the internet, deliver it to you. My name is Rev. Todd Laddick, and I'm bringing to you a new sermon series, part one of a four-part series entitled Living Faith, with today's message specifically entitled Genuine Faith, based off of James chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 and 14 through 17. Let us dive into the Word today. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ, if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye and have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What does that do? What good is that? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Amen. Genuine faith not only affects personal existence, but it also produces change in the world. I love it when people make assumptions about my political views simply because I am following the Bible and Jesus commands us to do to do that, right? Like, 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 I, I love it. And let me say this again. I love it when people make assumptions about my political views simply because I'm following the Bible and Jesus's commands, uh, you know, and what he commands us to do within it. You know what I mean by that? Let me explain. Toward the beginning of the Trump administration, um, during the beginning of the Trump administration in 2017, I was horrified to see the way immigrant and refugee families were being treated. I certainly wasn't the only one. Uh, many were. And as such, I led our congregation in a prayer for those kids, their families, and of course, our government. I did not make the prayer partisan, you know, about Republicans or Democrats or even about the specific president, didn't even mention the president's name. But just prayed for the well-being of those families and for the softening of our leaders' hearts. That's it. 
and yet a few people thought that was too political. In 2020, I, along with countless others, attended a Black Lives Matter rally in Newton, and I have since become very vocal when it comes to racial injustice and inequity, yet some found that to be too political. I should just stick to Jesus, or something like that. Have you ever had that happen to you? Or, even more likely, have you ever avoided saying what you believe simply because people might confront you and avoid confrontation at all costs? That, honestly, has been my go-to way of handling conflict. Uh, conflict. Avoid, avoid, avoid. So to avoid hearing that I should stick to Jesus, I stop following Jesus. You see how that works? It's funny because sticking to Jesus is what I'm doing. <laughs> and yet all people will tell you is that you should stick to Jesus. They don't care about what you think politically. Well, unfortunately, I'm sharing what Jesus thinks politically. It's kind of written in the Bible there. But for the longest time, I, I, I preached a neutral gospel. One that simply challenged people in ways that wouldn't truly challenge them, if you know what I mean. I even did that here to begin with uh, at my current uh, uh, church. Uh, and and we all at, at, at our church, we all loved that we are farmer's sermon. It was memorable. And, and if you attend my church, most of you know exactly which sermon I'm talking about. It challenged people to be mindful of the seeds they're sowing. In fact, I'm going to in in our uh, in the episode notes. I'll 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 link to that sermon. You can go watch it. Um, it's it's on YouTube. It's on our channel. Uh, YouTube.com forward slash Newton N E W T O N U M Church Newton U M Church. So it's YouTube.com forward slash Newton U M Church. That'll take you right to our channel, and you can check out the uh, the uh, uh, the sermon "We Are Farmers" back in two thousand seventeen. All the same, uh, I didn't challenge people more than that. You know, like it, it challenged people that that sermon "We Are Farmers" to be mindful of the seeds they're sowing, but it didn't quite push the boundaries. You know. If I upset anyone with my sermons, it was merely a stylistic thing, like saying amen, or uh, I made a, a passing reference to Hitler during Christmas Eve, or something sim something silly, you know, petty stuff. Nothing nothing earth-shattering. I was, I was not rocking the boat too much, and I, I think this is probably where a lot of pastors sit. I don't think I'm alone there. But here's the thing. That really isn't genuine, is it? That's just me playing it safe. And truthfully, safe is actually deadly when it comes to our soul. Why? Because we never grow. And we're doing nothing more than fooling ourselves as we learned last week in James. Here's the thing. Christ calls us to a living faith. A genuine faith. An authentic faith. And that faith will change you. And then the world following you. Living faith as opposed to dead faith. 
What's more, a person who lives their faith out has a living faith. They are living faith, and their faith is living. And here's another thing. Christ calls us to minister to people on the margin. So if we're going to stick to Jesus, Jesus calls us to minister to people on the margins. You know, people like immigrants, widows, orphans, the impoverished, the beggars, and the needy. Oh, and our faith calls us to resist evil and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. We actually vow to do that when we confirm our faith as Christians and when we become members of a congregation in the United Methodist Church. So yeah, <laughs> stick to Jesus, I agree. I now proudly proclaim the bold, radical, extreme gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I have no problem sharing the good news that not only does God love you and longs to save you, but once you believe in Jesus, you get to be a part of that through ministering to those in need and standing up for those who are weaker than us. I also have no problem anymore holding people accountable out of love because Jesus calls me to. I have no problem standing up against wrong because Jesus Christ tells me to. And the Holy Spirit has given me the courage to do these things, whereas I would otherwise keep quiet and, you know, lay low. Now, many of us have had times when we got too comfortable in our faith and neglected areas where we could keep growing. And many of us have gotten to a place in life where our faith is comfortably in a box. And we take it out only in certain places, like at church or home, around certain friends and family, but not around everyone. But faith, my friends, is not a matter of convenience. No, no, no. Faith is not meant to just be a thought or a feeling that brings us comfort. It is meant to change the way we live. The community receiving this letter was receiving something we often see now as, as well. Wealthy visitors to the synagogue uh, or, or church were being welcomed and given a place of honor, whereas poor visitors were being told to sit at the feet of the wealthy. How often do we see people's social status or monetary worth and either extend grace or overlook people based on it? And tell me we're not doing that today. Tell me. Tell me we don't do that in the church today. This practice, by the way, both in the ancient world and now, is a reflection of worldly values. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ challenges the worldly values that we often inherit from the culture around us. Favoritism. By the way, what is nationalism? Oh, that's putting your nation first, playing favorites with people who are a part of your nation rather than other nations. Now, there, there's a healthy dose of that to be had. We should put our own first to some degree, but not in a toxic way. 
not in a way that is unhealthy. But yeah, think about it. Think about it. We, we play favoritism. We have prejudices, racism, bias. Uh, even the way we treat each other when we have different theological differences. It's amazing how, how we can follow the world and yet do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, James teaches us that discrimination or partiality is a sin. In Christ, all have value, whether poor or rich, regardless of position or status. And the letter goes even further to point out that God has chosen the poor to be heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him. Verse 5. God loves everyone. But God will bring about justice for those who are oppressed. Genuine faith produces changed lives, good works, and social change. But it is often tempting to think we are saving ourselves or earning salvation by doing these things. People often have trouble with understanding that Jesus alone does the work of salvation. Not us, not our works, not our gifts. Only Jesus. No one deserves salvation more than the other. I don't care if you are Hitler or Mother Teresa. None of us deserve salvation more than the other. No, no. With that said, though, this does not mean that faith is passive. Friends, pay extra careful attention here. This is vitally important. Faithful work, faithful work is the result of our salvation, not the cause of our salvation. I'll say that again. Faithful work is the result of our salvation, not the cause of our salvation. So, Jesus saves us, and we don't earn or deserve that. But when we are saved, what does that do to us? When James, when James says in verse 14, can, can faith save you? He's not implying that we save ourselves through faith or good works. But that good works are the productive signs of of our faith, right? Our human response of faith is itself a gift of grace from God. And this faith, if genuine, produces good works because it's our response to God. So either our response is, yes, God, here I am, send me. Or it is, whatever. And the latter is just not genuine. In this way, our actions and our lives show other people what we believe. Witnessing to what Jesus has done for us and in us. You want to know why people don't come to church anymore? Because when they come to church, they see the world. And there's much better things out in the world to do besides showing up early on a Sunday morning. If we actually became a living faith community 
where people could come and express themselves freely in the love of Jesus Christ. Whew. Now that's different than what the world offers. Faith does not exist in a box. Faith truly becomes faith when you take it out and exemplify it for the world around you. How do you live out a faith that believes that Jesus Christ came for all and all have a place in the kingdom? This also means not being ashamed to be a living testimony to God's grace and mercy. Where do we still see favoritism at work in our community or in our church? Be it prejudice or classism, ageism, or just overlooking people in general? In what ways do we exclude people? Possibly through insider language like, Hey, you saved? Or, uh, can I love on you? Which could come off very creepy. You know, how, how do we exclude people through insider language or closed circles, what we call cliques, you know? Imagine what our city or town might look like if the church was known more for what it did in the community than the huge stained glass window or the chapel or whatever else might apply. What if our mission, what if in our mission we saw people as whole persons? As whole persons? What if we did that? Hmm? Think about that. What if we saw in our mission people as children of God rather than just identifying them with one of their needs, like being poor or hungry or gay or whatever other label we might attach to people. Think about that. That might be a radically different looking church, right? It's impossible to truly be the church we are called to be if we are keeping our faith in a box or a building or on one day of the week. And we never let it change the world around us. For Wesley, it was not just about responding personally in faith. But that response also has implications for the world we live in. And we see this in the book of James, where faith affects the social system. The kingdom of God flips the value system of our broken world upside down. As Christians, we are called to live as kingdom people here and now. When you look at this from a Wesleyan perspective, there is no personal holiness that is not ultimately social holiness. If the values of your faith do not play out in your social existence, then it is questionable if you really hold these values in your personal existence. Remember what our denomination's founder, John Wesley, said. Christianity is a social religion. 
To turn it into a solitary affair is to destroy it. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this challenging message and for John Wesley's warning that we are not to turn this into a solitary affair because that's not what Christianity was about. It's so easy to do that and to avoid the jerks in our lives, for lack of a better word. But Lord, we all can be those jerks, can't we? And we're to show grace to one another, not by avoiding one another, but by holding each other accountable in love to see the person grow and expand as a human being. That's all accountability is for. And we all need that, Lord, each and every one of us, myself included. So I thank you and praise you for this challenging message and ask that you boldly fill us with the desire to follow it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. And very hard to pray when you have to sneeze. Anyway, with that said, it is a uh, pleasure to have you here and to have you join us, uh, join me in this uh, message. Always, it's a it's an honor to be able to bring this message to you and to challenge to, to challenge myself with it. I mean, this stuff as I write it, it's it's speaking to me as much as it speaks to you, hopefully. And I hope that we're all growing together. That's what this is all about. Please check out the episode notes again. The link to that one sermon, um, "We Are Farmers," um, is on YouTube, and I'll put that on in the episode notes. So check that out. And if this is your weekly uh, spiritual feeding, please uh, support us. That would be very thank. We'd be very thankful and appreciative of it. It would be very helpful. If not, and this is just supplemental, then support wherever, whatever community you're a part of. And if you happen to be blessed enough to support us both, that would be great. With all that said, remember you are richly blessed so that you may be a blessing to others. Go in peace.